0: Welcome to Cool Explorations, I'm your host Tony Peters. Today we're going to have on David Pollandine of International Justice Mission, and he's going to tell us uh, his testimony, uh, what God's been doing in his life and through the work that International Justice Mission does. And uh, the verse that they've chosen to use for International Justice Mission is uh, Micah 6-8, and that is, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Very important verse, and you can find them at www.ijm.ca. Hello, and welcome to Cool Explorations. I am your host, Tony Peters. Today we have David Pollandine on, and he's going to talk about International Justice Mission, or IJM, as we discussed in the Prelude. There, we will be looking at Micah Six Eight as a reference to all this kind of stuff we're going to be talking about here, which is fantastic. I'm looking forward to this stuff. And why don't you start off by telling us a little about who you are as a person, David?
1: Yeah, thank you, Tony. It's lovely to to, to be here and to to talk to you about the work of Igem and just to share a little bit as well about myself. So yeah, so I'm um, originally. You can hear that I'm not from Canada. I'm from the UK. Uh, my family and I moved to uh, Winnipeg five years ago. Now, five and a half years ago, um, I'm married with two children, got a sixteen-year-old daughter and a thirteen-year-old son. So two teenagers in the house, um, which is wonderful. I always wanted teenagers. I always wanted that challenge. Um, I've always loved youth work. Been a youth worker in my past, so I've, I'm delighted now to have my own kind of my my youth work every day within my family, which is great. Um, and yeah, so I I. Um, originally come from the UK I worked a lot actually in um, student ministry uh, for a number of years worked in the Czech Republic actually um, for 10 years doing student ministry and then got involved in fundraising worked for a few NGOs in in London for Christian Aid was one and St John Ambulance was another and just got into the whole world of fundraising and so yeah when I came to Canada it was just a natural step to to be able to start working for IGM as well in this kind of in this in this arena. and. It was wonderful. Who'd have thought that I'd have found a job in Winnipeg coming from London? I thought, what am I going to do in Winnipeg? You know, what can I do? Maybe street entertainment, maybe something I can reinvent myself. But um, thankfully, uh, God had a plan and I was able to find work uh, working in the prairies as a fundraiser. So um, now I'm now I'm the um, actually working as the national director for development growth within IGM. So it's become more of a national remit, which is great as well. So it's lovely to be here. And um yeah, looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, and I'm looking forward to talking about that. Uh before we get into that, why don't you tell us your testimony uh and how God's kind of helped you grow along the way to get you to where you are now. <coughs>
1: yeah. Um, well, I grew up in in a small town in England, not really a town, it's it really a village, but it was we called it we did have a charter, so we were a town, we we're about three thousand people. And it was very similar to many small villages and towns across England. It was very secular. Nobody goes to church. Uh, we really are a secular country, so that was typical. Um, although we did have a big Anglican church that we used to sometimes go to as a cub and a scout um, on Remembrance Sunday and uh, main holidays and things. But yeah, had no real exposure growing up to to the sort of Christian faith. Mum and dad divorced when I was about five, so. That was quite traumatic, I think, for for not just for us, for our parents as well. Uh, And so we never lived. We lived with our mum and my and my nan. But my dad came to faith actually um, through that trauma of the divorce and stuff. And so he prayed for many years for us. So although we weren't actually living together, we didn't see too much of him in the early years, especially. But he just faithfully kept praying. So eventually. Um, we were at university, and we went to one. Of, went to his church in in a, in a place called Luton, and the pastor happened to be a football player, soccer player. And me and my brother love football, so um, yeah. Over the years, we've been there a few times, and I heard this lovely Welsh evangelist share about Jesus and about a relationship that you can have with him. And so I went forward, and that was I was about 22. So that was in about 1990, no, 1980 nine I guess 1988 89. And so yeah, made a made a decision and it took yeah you know, t- it was a gradual it kind of gradually uh started to meet with Christians, started to go to church. Um having not gone to church growing up, it took me a while to get into that rhythm. But um yeah so went to university and then discovered about how you can share your faith at university. And so that's why I got into working with um what is kind of equivalent to intervarsity over here um christian fellowship but worked within that same kind of organization in the in what was actually czechoslovakia when i first went there but then it became the czech republic so mm. um yeah so that's kind of a very quick version of how i found faith, or no, faith it's, found me.
0: <laughs> it's interesting uh that you bring up that uk is very secular because uh i had on a christian musician from there too, and she said the exact same thing where <laughs> she, if she even brings up faith or anything with her friends, they will like right away shut her down. And uh some of them have even told her not to communicate with them uh because of that. And I'm just like, yeah, that sadly that's the way North America is heading. Uh so uh I think it's important that we do the work that we're doing to to reach people uh for for with the faith and plant those seeds. So at IJM, you discussed your, your role a little bit. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that role and a little bit more about what uh, International Justice Mission does and what what they are as an organization.
1: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I, IJM, we are actually with the largest anti-slavery organization in the world, um, although we're not just solely fo- focused on slavery. We're actually focused more on violence and or the threat of violence that people experience across the world, but especially in developing world amongst poor communities. And so um, we, we recognize that people in poverty especially just do not have access to justice. Uh, it's not that the access is poor or bad, it's that the access just is not there for many, many people. Um, the UN came out with a figure of, which is staggering, of five billion people not protected by the law which when you think the earth is around seven billion wow. five billion is an incredible amount of people um it's over two-thirds of the of the population of the world so again it makes you realize that living here in canada we really are privileged um yeah. you know we live in privilege and so for, for most people um they're either, they're either they either have they're either oppressed by violence or the fear of violence. It's not necessarily, it's that fear, it's that sense of insecurity because you know if you are oppressed in some way, if you're robbed, if you're raped, whatever it is, that you just aren't going to get justice. And so you're you're then not just, it's not just justice, you know, you're not just, the perpetrator's not just out there and free because there's impunity, but you're also imprisoned by the trauma that impacts you from that because you're also not going to get access to to good trauma counseling as well. And in those contexts, you need money. You know, you need money for a lawyer, you need money for trauma counseling. Um, it's just not, it's not accessible in the same way that we have it here. So um, so that's IG, that's really how that's really why IgM exists. Um I could I could connect really back to the beginning, which was Gary Haugen, our founder, who was he was actually the chief chief investigator for the Rwandan genocide. So he was a 30 year old high flying lawyer. Um, with this incredible job, um, which was also very traumatic as well, where he basically had to log how people had been killed in the genocide. Yeah, um there was a lot. So it was very traumatic, yeah. And he was really struck by a couple of things. One was, where was the world when this was happening? And, of course, I don't know if you remember, but the world was watching O.J. Simpson escape <laughs> up the freeway. Yeah. And um, everyone's eyes was on that. It was live on TV in the U.K. as well. We were watching that chase and so while that was happening we had this horrific thing happening in in rwanda the other question he asked as well is actually not just where was the world but where was the church you know and why why could how could something like this happen and one of the things he realized was that you know no, no amount of prayer no amount of good feeling or sermons or anything like that really could have changed or stopped what actually happened and it needed actual physical intervention it needed someone to actually take the machete out of the hands of the people, and as a lawyer, he recognized that you know the law has the strength to do that, but it's not happening in many of these situations in many of these countries, especially when it's poor communities this it just doesn't happen, and so he really uh, he actually resigned and set up IGM and everyone said don't do it you're mad what are you doing it'll never work I mean you know governments are too corrupt it's just not going to work and he, he did it one person at a time he, he basically one case at a time he took that person in a collaborative way working with lawyers working with aftercare professionals working with um judiciary and and basically saying, look, we're going to take this person through the justice system. We're going to do good practice. As we go through it, we're going to have to put holes in the pipeline. We're going to have to mend things, definitely. But we want to get them through the justice system. Out the other side, we want them to flourish. We want the perpetrator to go and you know go to prison for what they've done. And then we've got somebody who's actually come through and been protected. And so he just he just did that one person at a time. And it's developed and 25 years later we we're, with we're this, we're this big organization working in 26, 26 locations around the world over four continents. So, you know, it was it was a vision that he had back then. And it was based on a theory of change, which is really simple, is that when you enforce the law, violence stops and it really does work. And we've proved it again and again. It's that simple, especially where there's impunity, where you're in a place where you can. You've got no fear of judgment. You've got no fear of being held accountable for what you're doing. Where somebody is prosecuted and sent to prison in that context, it has a big impact. It has a big impact. And we've seen that again and again in many different locations. Um, We saw it in Uganda with um, land theft. So what would happen there is that uh, often a, a, a lady would be married. And her husband would pass away. Often, the husband might be, might be older, so he might have died because he's old, or might have died of AIDS, or whatever. However, he's died, and so she she would be left on the property. But what would happen? And this is kind of a biblical story. We know the story of Boaz that the the name of the property would want to be kept in the name of the husband. You know, to keep the to keep it in the family. Mm-hmm. And so, if the woman's there on her own, they will want her to give up the land to the family. So they're scared that she might marry again, and then it would go to another name. And so sometimes that means that they would um, intimidate her, they would burn her house down, they would kill the cattle, and they would even bring the machete onto her. So this was a crime which we'd been working with um, the police, working with the justice system, working with the community for like 10 years in Uganda, in a little area of Uganda. And we saw no convictions in 10 years. So for 10 years, every case that we brought to the court was thrown out. Um, it just didn't work until 2000 and I think fourteen, fifteen. And we got our first um, prosecution. We got our first person sent to prison. And that was 2015. To date, we've had over 100 people sent to prison for wow. that crime in that little area of Uganda. So it just takes one it really does and it's and and so that's what keeps us going that's why we keep in that country we keep working with the different stakeholders the different actors because we know that it works but you've got to stick at it you, you've got to keep at the the plow you can't um yeah you can't backtrack but you, but it but it will work in the end you know the law at the end does come through
0: well and we like to think that that kind of stuff doesn't happen here in in North America or in the U S or Canada, but uh, we know the sex trade is, is very active here and uh, sex slavery. uh, That's something we've seen presidents go after in the past. Uh, And uh, some presidents are a lot more lack lax on that, but uh, it does happen here as well. So that's something that uh, I love to just mention because it's, it's important that we recognize that, we yeah. We are not better than these other countries it It's yeah. happening here uh right in our own backyards
1: absolutely uh, it exists in every country. slavery is an issue in every country and there's and there is no there is no perfect justice system you know every justice system is flawed um some are just flawed more than others and yeah, yeah so it is it's a case of and you know a lot a lot of our work is based on capacity and and we want to with the money that we are able to raise we want to, we want to do as much as we can with it so obviously we're we're keen to go to those places that are in most need where there's most need mm-hmm. um in a perfect world um yeah every every system needs help <laughs> in some ways yeah
0: yeah and like you say there is no perfect system and i mean governments it, it's a struggle for them how do they counter this how do they put the funds into it because there's only so many things you can yeah. put money into so that is where it's great to have an organization that like yours come in to provide that that help and support uh where a government might be might be struggling with that yeah um yeah. so tell us a little bit more about your own role in there and as well as um, touch on micah 6-8 because we brought that up in the intro and i i i love that that you tied that particular verse into in, into the ministry that you guys do so explain a little bit more how that ties in there
1: yeah it's one of our key verses I think for the work of IGM um and I think certainly for Gary I think he re- it was really one of the verses that was when he was working in in Rwanda worked in that justice you know in that work as the um as the chief investigator um I think for him he really saw I think for the first time he realized that wait a minute this work of justice is actually our job. It yes yes God can intervene directly. Yes we we see miracles in the world absolutely but essentially just and Jesus kind of modeled this in his walk around the earth is that he wants to do it through us. He wants to use us to be his um his tool of justice if you like to be his uh to be his aroma on the earth. And I love the. I love also the idea of darkness and light. And that's something, I mean, Gary talks about that with his children. He's got a wonderful story about how his kids were afraid of the dark and he'd charge the dark. He'd run into the dark screaming with them <laughs> because he'd say that, because you run in there and then you realize, oh, it's not as bad as I thought it was, you know. But I think that's the challenge as Christians is that we are called to be in dark places because that's where our light has the best impact, you know, and, and the Bible talks about this all the time in many different places where if the light Is shining in a light place you're not going to it's not going to really make much difference is it you can't you can hardly see the light on outside when in the day it's at night when the light actually is seen and so that's the challenge for us as Christians living especially when we're living in a comfortable society where life can be quite comfortable and easy God's calling us to go into the dark with our light and I think that is something I think Gary realized when he was on those if you like those fields in Rwanda, that this is our job. We we we've got to take responsibility and step up, and we've got to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And we and actually that verse from Micah is wonderful because it kind of is a is a little bit of an explanation of what Jesus did. You know, you could literally put Jesus into you know, and it was the Lord that's requiring this of you. Ironically, it's the Lord that's requiring this of you. To act justly. What did Jesus do when he was on the world? Oh, he acted justly, you know, to love mercy. Well, Jesus loved mercy. We see that in the way he talked, the Good Samaritan. We saw it in the way that he treated people, you know, people who are very different to, to himself. And of course, he walked humbly with his father. Um, nobody's walked humbly as Jesus. Um, nobody argues when he says, I am humble. Nobody argues with that. only only he could say that and get away with it you know so I think he's left that model for us and we really are to be his hands and his feet and that's why you know IGM is a community of um of Christian lawyers of aftercare professionals of um you know of different of different people working in the justice system to to make a change because that is that is our commission yeah the great commission absolutely is to go into the world and to preach the gospel but we are to be it as well in the way that we you know the way that we shine our light and the way that we live so i think that's really important i think micah just it's just so beautiful and actually i think it's in matthew jesus picks that up again he he almost quotes the same words because he challenges the pharisees doesn't he and he says you know he he challenges them because they're not acting according to how they were supposed to be acting how should they act oh They also needed to do the same, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. You know, so it's great that Jesus quotes that and brings it into the New Testament as well. But nothing's changed. It's still the it's still the the mandate for us to do that. So, yeah, I think I think it's great. And we were talking about this just pre to to us coming on air. But how when you when you are walking in the thing that God has you to do. It's just wonderful and it gives you a peace that you're doing the right thing. No matter how hard it is, sometimes it can be hard. Oh, but if yeah. you know you're in that place and you're doing the right thing, then you have a peace about what you're doing. And um and it's not hard work, you know, even yeah. though it can be even though it can be sometimes frightening and scary, but uh, you have an inner peace. So I think that's definitely that kind of is is all all of that is encapsulated in Micah six eight and it's become really through working with IGM, it's become one of my favorite verses now in the bible definitely and especially as jesus picks it up as well to challenge the pharisees um, in the way that they're doing things yeah and it's kind
0: of a, a two-part verse because it does two things It, it it's that call to action like you're talking yeah. about yeah and it's that guide it's that that telling you this is how you should be going yeah. about this and so i love that that it encapsulates both in that yeah. verse. It not only calls you to action, but it tells you exactly how you yeah. should be acting. Uh, and I think that is very important for people to recognize. Uh, yeah. and, and as they go through, and like you say, I love when he challenges the Pharisees. It's just the hypocrisy is just so blatant yeah. for us looking at it. Um, yeah. And it's, it would have been hard for them to take it because it's, I mean, someone's calling you out. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So, that's right and they, and they were powerful weren't they they were all powerful and you know how dare this person challenge you know yeah <laughs> challenge yeah. them um, well
0: and we were talking too about how some of these pharisees weren't even levites anymore like they weren't the the, the people that were supposed to be mm. leading were supposed to be those of the levite tribe those are the priests but mm. a lot of the people who were taking these positions of power were no longer levites they were just People in the church who, or church uh, synagogue, who were like, "Oh, I've risen up to this place. My family name is giving me this place," and uh, that, thats where Jesus really just was like, "No, yeah, this—this this is how you're supposed to act." And that's what yeah. really got ruffled their feathers on many, many occasions. Yeah. And the fact that that he was came from from humble beginnings, uh, yeah. a carpenter's son. I mean,
1: yeah, how can so- they? How could From they possibly Nazareth. know? Yeah. And how could they possibly <laughs> know more than I? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also he, what he does, he's quite, but he he does this a few times. He does it with Nicodemus as well, actually. But he says, you know, you're supposed to know this. It's like, do you not know? Have you not forgotten? I think he says, I think he actually says that. Have you not forgotten what the most important thing is in the law? It's to love, you know, it's to, it's yeah. to love justice, walk company, And so it, it kind of calls them out that, makes them yeah realize that th- you should know this if you're if you're an expert in the law you're well read you are, yeah. how come you don't know this you know and so it, it almost it really does bring them down um, yeah. you can see why they got angry
0: <laughs> well and i've i've respected there's just a few of the um Sadist's and first so i reading in the bible i have a lot of respect for because they came to know christ as their savior and it's like yeah. you know how difficult
1: that would have been for someone in their position. Oh, like. Yeah, and- <laughs> I, I, yeah and, and and in some ways we, we experience with, with with the work of igm we've got people uh, i'm a fundraiser but working in the field doing the work um at, at a sacrifice because that there is a risk you know there's a risk there to to themselves uh, especially working within you know higher up within you know whether it's in government or in, yeah. in police so i mean i think yeah i think it is uh but again it's it comes back to that you know whether you feel do you feel you do you feel you're in the right place where and god puts us in sometimes difficult places but there's that inner peace i think that's really important yeah and, and i love to feel that yeah. the, the, there's a song out there
0: um oh i have it on my, my thing i forget the name of it but it it says um that it was never promised that it would be easy mm. <laughs> and i'm just yeah. like that is so true yeah. he never promises it's going to be easy in fact yeah. he promises the exact opposite that it, that we're going to go through trials and hardships sure and uh so i see that even with people who are coming to christ through ijm uh, or through many other organizations so are coming from these difficult backgrounds sure. how does ijm um, put in place support programs for people what kind of support programs do they have and how do they go
1: about putting them in place yeah um we, we've we recently actually opened a few new offices um, in the past year, I guess. Uh, if, um, really reaching out to the government, um, we, we can't work in any country unless we have an agreement with the government. So there are countries we just can't work in, you know, we, we've not been able to. To be able to find that agreement, if you like, so that's the first thing you know that there is a limit to where we can go um thankfully that's a minority of places um there's still a lot of places where we can we can work with government and where government really have a desire for things to change um so you know just like just like our government there's no perfect government so we have to acknowledge that we're not going to be necessarily in a place where we're going to be working with a perfect in a perfect system um but we can make inroads with people who also have that same heart for justice and for making the world better in their in their country and context. So, yeah, we, we always have to to have an agreement with the government. We sign a memorandum of understanding an MOU. And it also needs agreement that there is a actual problem in a particular area. Um, and that's hard. Sometimes that is hard for us as well to, to admit, you know, yes, we have an issue with this and we need help. Um so that's also an important part of what we do. Now, the work then is really data driven. Um, we can't really work in trying to deal with uh, a problem unless we can prove that there is a problem. So we have to do then prevalence studies. So there's a lot of data analysis. There's lots of, sometimes it's physically going out and actually doing um, kind of inspections, and investigating in a physical way. Uh sometimes it could be done there's so many clever ways of doing this now i mean i've 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 heard about a few things and I've touched on a few things i mean we've got data science is something now we have a data science team, and so that's also something that we use i know there's some there's a system now where you can actually from a satellite beaming down to the sea to the ocean to the sea you can see a boat. And by the way the boat's moving, you can tell generally if there's if it's got carrying a cargo which is too big for the boat. And often, that's a sign of, of slave labor. So there are some very clever things out there that can help. Um, but data is key, and we have to be able to prove. We have to find uh, a system that works, and then we have to be able to prove that there's a problem. Once we prove the problem, once we've got some measurements, we've got some numbers, we can then say, right, this is how we want to impact the numbers of this
0: thank you for listening to cool explorations you've just heard even paul of ijm or international justice mission which you can find at www.ijm.ca and he's just been talking about the work that ijm does how god's been using him in that work and how ijm is is really a tool for god to correct some of the wrongs that are going on in this world and this is the first part in this series, so if you want to tune in tomorrow, you can catch the second part.
1: If you would like to reach me for any reason, you can do so at tpeters745 at